Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. And, well, Horwat, what can we say? The Pittsburgh Penguins go out there and do the same exact thing that they did on Saturday, losing in overtime to the Philadelphia Flyers, this time by a final score of 2-1 to one in Philly at Wells Fargo Center. We have, uh, I mean, I guess, stuff to talk about today. That they lose in the same exact ways. They play the same exact style of hockey. Uh, it's really hard to break much down, but we're going to try to do that for the next 40 to 45 minutes. We'll talk about the first line because it is carrying the Pittsburgh Penguins right now between that and the goaltenders Alex Nedeljkovic and Tristan Jari. We'll give you some injury updates, some positive news on that front from the Pittsburgh Penguins on Monday afternoon. And then we'll talk a little bit about a potential coaching change because we see that being a very you know, busy topic of conversation across Penguins land. So we'll talk about, you know, the positives and negatives and will it make an effect and will it make the effect that people are hoping it will uh, if that does occur. So we'll talk about that in the final segment. But let's start off with the first line because it continues to carry the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sidney Crosby scores the lone goal against Philly on Monday, becoming the NHL's leading goal scorer in the history against the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, surpassing Mario Lemieux in that one. It's his 15th goal of the season, and he only trails Jake Gensel in the NHL for five-on-five points. Gensel has 25 this season. Sidney Crosby has 23. So when you look at the first line, obviously it's clicking on all cylinders, but everything else just seems to be struggling to get going. (laughs) That's putting it mildly, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I think you were putting it best in your uh, to-go yesterday that, you know, the top line is doing its thing. This is what we expected from them, but it's not that the, everyone else is, you know, they're all ice cold. The power play needs no introduction at this point anymore. It's hitting franchise lows. The second line has, even with, even with Ricard Raquel, I don't think the second line has, has been moving the needle much lately. You know, Riley Smith started off really well. Evgeny Malkin started off really well. Those two had that bond and that connection. While it still might be there, their finishing ability has just, evaporated completely and it doesn't matter who's on their th- on their other wing uh, nothing seems to be waking them up anytime soon third line's a gong show and I think in Penguins land it always ha- not always has been but it has been for a very long time now um, and it started with at least last season season before it's hard to find a consistent group for the third line and the fourth line really right now it's just injured it's that fourth line is pinned together because all three ideal names are not in the NHL lineup right now. So just nothing much you could do with that scenario. So it's kind of hard to judge uh, who's centering. It's kind of hard to judge Kopanen and then whoever he gets stuck with, which it seemed to be Harkins, Harkins and Zahorna, who all three of them are not playing any minutes really. So it's hard to really give them any sort of, opinion or thought because they're just not on the line they're yeah. just not on the ice so um regardless it, it's it's the first line carrying the team and the goaltending coming up huge you would have thought that would have been the thing too mm-hmm. yeah you look at the the second line and I think that's where the biggest issues lie for the Pittsburgh Penguins because coming into the season how much did you realistically expect at least on the offensive side of the puck 
to get out of the third and fourth line. Yeah, you said maybe they're going to be able to contribute here and there and somewhat here and there. And they have at points. I think it's a little bit lower when it comes to the grand total of of scoring contributions than we would have expected even even with those low expectations. But the second line has just been dormant. And I mean, look no further than a three on one yesterday, headman by Evgeny Malkin. Typically, you're saying, hey, I would love to have Evgeny Malkin be the guy head manning a three on one. That's exactly who you want in that situation on the second line. Malkin doesn't shoot the puck. He doesn't pass the puck. Instead, he skates the puck behind the Philadelphia Flyers net. They don't get a shot on goal on it at all. He literally just wrapped it around the net and then went for a pass yeah. to the point. What is that? Like at this point, that's not, hey, you're unlucky. Hey, you're not getting the chances. Hey, you're not getting the breaks. That's mentally, you are just not there right now. And Evgeny Malkin just skating the puck around and going back to the point is a prime example of what is wrong with that line right now. It is that none of them have their heads in the game. There is no chemistry whatsoever between he, Riley Smith, and Drew O'Connor, and that is just a crazy statement to say at this point, considering what we were saying about Smith and Malkin specifically just, what, four weeks ago. So, And it's been probably about four weeks since they've been able to actually score. At least Riley Smith has been able to score because now he's gone 14 straight games without lighting the lamp. <laughs> 14. Um, I mean, sorry, I, I, I just thought about this. Is it not Jason Zucker? Is it not what we had from Jason Zucker? Hey, wow, this guy is scoring on scoring on scoring. It looks great. And then all of a sudden, he's on a milk carton somewhere. It's exactly what you got from Jason Zucker the last couple of years. The only difference is I think Zucker was probably a little bit better at being physical, a little sure. bit better. I don't want to say better defensively. Riley Smith's pretty good in his own zone, pretty responsible yeah, yeah, in his yeah. own zone. But you're at least getting more out of Zucker when it comes to what you're actually seeing in a game-to-game -game basis, whereas a lot of Riley Smith's contributions come from basically, you know, the small little plays that are good for the team, but it's hard to really pick out of a lineup. And what's really fun about, not fun, and what's really interesting about you saying this is just Jason Zucker again is what did we say about Riley Smith the entire offseason after we got him? He is a more consistent Jason Zucker. Oh. Well, well, well. Uh, it doesn't seem like that anymore now that that's the comparison we're drawing. It is quite literally Jason Zucker 2.0. In other words, we have to wait. Mm -hmm. At least he's healthier. Now he's just a healthier Jason Zucker, right? Yeah. Now we just have to wait two years for him to go off on a tangent. <laughs> uh, and then that be it for him for, in, in the town. In town. Which I think, uh, ironically, might line up with his contract anyway. I, I think it does. Uh, yeah. His la next, year, next year's his last year, so. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, the, he's got one year to make it happen. The price tag is the same. I think they're the same age, are they not? Or like close? Uh, they're close to the yeah. same age. I mean, it's we knew that we thought we were getting a more consistent player, um, and maybe that consistency is still there. Maybe that it is just that confidence thing between at least those two. Like I said, we really can't fully ingrain Drew O'Connor onto this line. We can't fully ingrain Alex Nylander onto that line. We can't really fully ingrain. Ricard Raquel into that line. And I know he's been injured, but even when he's there, he has not moved the needle this year. So it's just between those two, uh, Smith and Malkin. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is just a confidence thing for them because I saw that three on two coming in. All right, here's a good chance for them to maybe build something. It's Or three on one even, whatever it may have been. Yeah. A good chance for them to really start get something going, start something up because those three haven't been phenomenal. They've been absent from everything. And a big goal on the road in front of a lot of orange and black. At timely, no less. It was, like, was it the third period? I believe it was. It was. It was a one-one game at that okay. point. But it's, I don't know if it was the third period. I can't remember. I'm. I'm in a. I'm a little bit of like cold brain right now. I'm sick. If you can't tell, but like I, I can't remember what period that was. You're good. And for whatever reason, I'm barely awake right now. So this is gonna be a fun episode. <laughs> um. But I'm and this and it was just very uncharacteristic Malkin, and we we've seen plenty of characteristic Malkin over the years, especially this year. But something about taking a three on one and getting nothing to the point where you are behind the net—that's just uncharacteristic of Evgeny Malkin and of that line. And second, I saw that happen, I essentially phoned it in for the game in my head. I said, "That's nothing. If that if they're not." Even getting something, a, a shot on goal out of that, and you're feeding it back to your defenseman, this is over. There's nothing, nothing's going to go right. You can maybe steal a point if Alex Nedeljkovic continues to steal saves, which he did until he didn't. But 
Not much you can do on a two on one, and also whatever, um, you lose your man in overtime. Whoops. And here's the thing that I thought yesterday, and it, this exact thought went through my head whenever he, Malkin took the puck behind the net. We don't need to keep harping on this, but this is just something I think would be interesting. When he took the puck behind the net, I said the difference in aggressiveness in Evgeny Malkin now versus that is the same net, maybe not the actual physical structure, but that is the same end that Evgeny Malkin took that slap shot from between the dots back in, what, 2009? And I was like, the aggressiveness is so far gone in this situation that it's like, it's not the same player. Because when we think of Evgeny Malkin, is that not one of the first plays that comes to your mind as he gets dumped? I think it was by Kimo Timonen behind the Philly net. He cherry picks, comes down, and he just absolutely wires a clap bomb from between the dots and beats, I think it was Marty Baron at that point. Definitely Baron. But, but that, that was the same net. Wells Fargo center, that end of the ice... And instead, on a three-on-one, he doesn't go for the shot. He doesn't try to make the pass. He carries the puck behind the net and then says, let me set up my defenseman, set it back to the point, and we'll try to set things up. Now, is that structure or is that of getting Malkin being non-aggressive? That's an important question. That's something that I don't think any of us on the outside are actually able to answer. Mm -hmm. And if people say they can answer it, there's a very select few people that I would trust and believe that actually know that. But on a three-on-one, if anybody's coaching you to not take the shot and you're Evgeny Malkin, you should still take the shot because at the end of the day, it's probably going to result in a scoring chance. I'll at least help you out here. It was at home, though. It was a home game that that happened in. But No, it wasn't. Our, wasn't like the crowd going was nuts it? for a reason? Oh, maybe it was. Yeah. Why do I feel like that was a road game? Uh, You're good. I'm also trying to figure out the defenseman in it. And who'd you say it was? I thought it was Kimo Timonen, but... Uh, that's possible. I'm... I just kind of pulled up the box score. I was just trying to see if he was on that team to make sure. Um, but regardless, no, it was definitely a home game because the crowd. Yeah, it was. Of, He's in black. Yeah. Crowd went black. ballistic. Um, Again, cold brain, but still. You're good. Play, play suggests. Exactly. And I, because you were bringing that play up and how he would have that sort of aggression. That's just walk in free slap shot when you don't really need to. Um, you brought that play up, and I thought of another one from last year where I think we're because he's maybe he's a little older and playing a little bit of a different game that came to my head uh, in a more negative context than yours. Um, it, I am pretty sure it was the same end, uh, also still at home at uh, PBG Paints Arena. During that overtime game against the Carolina Hurricanes when he chased whoever it was behind yeah. the Hurricanes net, and they went down and scored in overtime. Um, and that felt like a turning point of that season. And it, he took it upon himself. He said, I shouldn't have chased there. Like Sullivan said right after, he shouldn't have chased there. I think yeah. of that end there, and it's maybe there's a whole lack of aggression coming from Malkin now in these past couple seasons, and it's really, really, really rearing its ugly head 24, 25 games into this season. Yeah. I mean, he wrote a, what, a three-game point streak going into last night's game, but... There's just too often that you look at, at these games and you're saying, wow, man, Evgeny Malkin not only making no impact offensively, but he's really making a negative impact because his defensive game sometimes just falters. Now, last night, that's not on him. Everybody failed to play defense last night for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, but back to the root of this conversation, I, I mean, you need Evgeny Malkin to get back on his horse. You need Evgeny Malkin to be the guy that he was last season when he scored, what, 83 points? In, in 82 games, he was over a point per game last year because you look at what the first line is, is attempting to do, the first line of goaltending, they're trying to win it on their own. I mean, that line has accounted for 53% of the team's goals since November 5th. 53% coming from three players. That's Crosby, that's Gensel, that's Brian Rust. And you look at the games that the Penguins have won over the past three weeks. There's only four of them. And look at how they won those games. Tampa Bay last week. Second line scores a goal. Fourth line scores a goal. Versus Toronto earlier. Fourth line chips in twice. Versus Vegas, the fourth line chipped in and the defense scored with Ryan Graves getting a goal. Columbus is the one exception in the last three weeks. They've won four games. Only one of them was won practically entirely by the first line. And that was the game against Columbus where they scored four goals of the five total for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they won four to three. So even if the second line doesn't score there, the Penguins win by one. Mm -hmm. Like, they barely win, and that is with the four, the first line contributing four goals. It's taken a toll on these guys. I mean, Crosby looked gassed last night. They need to get more scoring 
from around the lineup because we said before the season it was top six scoring, bottom six defense. Right now it's top three, all the scoring, bottom nine. Last night, what was it? It wasn't defense. It wasn't offense. It was just ice time. Yeah. That's all it is. That's all it's been for a couple of different games throughout the past couple of weeks. They they need more from everybody. And how do you how do you place blame at that point? Like at this point, it's like the entire team. I mean, at that point, it goes to coaching. We'll we'll talk about it. But the entire team is just not where it needs to be. Yeah, and I know you didn't want to necessarily dive too deep into this, but you bring up the goal totals from those lines, or you know, or at, or that lack of offense from those other lines. And you know, everyone is aware the power play is also not getting off yeah. scot free here, and it deserves mentioning that. Um, I mean, first of all, they're first of all, Penguins goalies have scored more recently than the than the <laughs> power play. play has. The penalty kill, I believe, has scored more recently than yeah. the power play. Um it, or at least damn close to it. Mm. it. They're not getting off scot free here either, and they shouldn't because of how many each of the Penguins last or seven of the last eight or something stupid like that have been decided by a single goal. Whether it is one of their yep. wins or one of their losses, it has been decided by a single tally and legitimately these these missed opportunities on the man advantage are straight up costing them points they were lucky to get out with two two points and let's be honest they were lucky to get out with two points against philly again in those games yeah pair of overtime i mean took jake Gensel scoring in the dying seconds with with the man up but not a power play just a different it was six on five mm-hmm. not five on four different situation it was a man up but in no way shape or form does that equate to power play uh ability you figured something out there you got lucky to get that point out last night alex adalkovich stood on his head stole the show lucky to get a point out of that Mm -hmm. take it back to the nashville game because that was their last loss i mean in hindsight if you want to look at it glass half full penguins have points in four straight if you want to it's it's uh one, two, three, trying to do quick math here. It's five out of a possible eight, so it's not awful, but it's definitely not where you want to be. And regardless, if you look at it, it, these four specifically, I mean, you got to win against the win is against Tampa Bay. That's good, but let's say you get a power play goal against Nashville, maybe things go a little differently. You get an extra point there. There's three extra points still sitting on the board there, but then you go back to the other three again. One goal games, over five performances on the power play, and you're just missing opportunities after opportunities. Um, you just get one, and it's a different outcome. Eric Carlson said the same thing, I believe it was after practice when he said, you know, obviously it's not where we want to be. If we get it to 20%, even, which is twice of what they're doing right now, if we get it to even just 20%, you know, that's one for five. We had five opportunities. We get the one, we're in a different situation. That's all they need to do yep. is just get that one. And maybe things start to spin for him, but with you know all these games being separated by a single goal and the power play not contributing um, as much as yeah you need it separated by one goal yeah get one goal from the second third fourth line whatever it may be power play has that's the point of it is you have that man advantage you need to take the take the advantage of that extra man and they haven't done it all these things aside from the first line really are to blame here. If you want to talk about defensive scoring, it you absolutely can. Eric Carlson is really carrying his weight. He's doing offensively, he's doing fine. I think the defensive game has slipped a bit. We'll yeah, it's something that we'll just kind of monitor for now because he's Eric Carlson. I think he put a lot of focus on defense early in the season. He's flipped the switch, found a lot of offense. Ryan Graves needs no introduction again. Ryan Graves needs a deeper dive right now because he yeah. is—he's uh, he, in the doghouse, and that's not a good thing for somebody who just signed what a six-year deal. Yeah, and you know, a defenseman getting used to the system takes longer um, than normal, but that's still. Yeah. You're, I said it before. You're on the first line. You need it to be quicker. Yeah. Crystal Tang's played great. I, you know, I don't think the scoring has come for him, but it doesn't need to. He's played phenomenally defensively. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ryan Shea's still looking for his first career point. John Ludwig has an assist. I'm not saying take them out of the lineup. They love John Ludwig right now, but I think P.O. Joseph might 
that deserves an opportunity when he's healthy to slip back in. See if he can bring something, but otherwise, someone's got to find scoring somewhere, and it's not coming from the first line. And as much as we like it, and much as it was awesome to see, it's not coming from the goaltending again, guys. Yeah. You got to find goals everywhere else in the lineup. Yeah, and just to throw it back a little bit, you mentioned they got five of a, a possible eight points over the past four games, and, and man, if they would just capitalize on one opportunity mm-hmm. each game, they'd have three more standings points. That would put them tied for third in the Metropolitan Division right now. Yep, that, that's that is another saving grace too. Is that the Metro is still the Metro and the East? It's close. It's still extremely tight. They are so lucky that it is still extremely tight, and that you know, and that the Leafs haven't broken away because they're in a wild card spot. Are they not? They're in the top wild card spot. That would put you, I believe, tied with the Leafs also for the top wild card spot. So even if you didn't have the tiebreaker in the Metro, you're right at the top of the wild card standing. Exactly. So you don't look into you know the. Um. Uh, the the not the wild card. The thing you just said. The tiebreakers. Look mm-hmm. into the just get points. Just collect points. And again, like yeah. I said, you've gotten points in four straight. That is a step near the right direction because they're all yeah. three of them are losses. Yeah, it's a step near the right direction. You're getting there. But again, something one goal slips in, one bounce goes the other way on any of these lines in any of those games. You have a different situation. Yeah. And, and yes, the bright side is you're not losing six to nothing. But at the end of the day, you know, with a lot of parity in this league means there's going to be a lot of good opponents that are coming up. You don't have any softballs, especially for the Penguins, who right now, one of the teams they struggle the most against is Ottawa. And they're at the bottom of the standing. So, you know, it, it's a tough place to be for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're not playing pretty good hockey right now outside of the top line who's playing great in the offensive zone. Their defensive zone stuff is is kind of suffering. They were on the ice for both goals against last night, including an overtime missed assignment by Crosby and Gensel that, you know, it, again, just looked like a brain fart. And it looked like, you know, when you're tired, you make the wrong decision. And it looked exactly like what you mentioned last year from Evgeny Malkin. Sidney Crosby chases the guy after losing the faceoff, creates a two-on-one. His man ends up scoring, which is Sean Couturier. But, you know, there's a lot to work on for the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's a lot of players that could be playing a lot better. But... They need to get some help, and there could be reinforcements coming, and that's where we're going to go with our next segment. Let's talk a little bit about the injured players that are making progress towards return. A handful of them have returned skating and resumed skating, and then more of them, uh, not more of them, a couple of them are, are off the ice right now. We'll get back to that after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Some good injury news for the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you're looking for positives surrounding this team right now, Ricard Raquel, P.O. Joseph, Chad Ruedel, all with the team, all three skating right now. Good signs for the Pittsburgh Penguins who need help everywhere right now. Like They're not getting great performances for most of positions on the ice. So getting players back like Raquel specifically would be big for the Pittsburgh Penguins, despite the fact that he has no goals in 17 games so far this season. So probably the biggest piece is Raquel, if they could get him back. Um, Hopefully his struggles, when you look at him, were a mixture of bad luck early on and then injury late. Like how early was he actually playing with an injury? Was it something that was actually new in that Vegas game, or was it something that had affected him a couple of games before then? Because I think there was a stretch before he went down. He kind of looked hopeless in the offensive zone, and my hope is that's because of uh, because of the injury that he sustained and he was trying to fight through it. Uh, I, yeah, you're right. I, I don't know how much he moves the needle, though, just because you're right. It's been some bad luck. He is obviously the biggest name to return to the lineup whenever he comes back and is fully healthy and will be immediately supplemented back onto the second line where he should be no doubt um but honestly the that's just because we don't have too many other options to play behind him uh yeah. especially on that right wing so as of right now yeah he'll be the biggest name to come back and who knows maybe he comes back and finds the rhythm maybe he just kind of needed a little maybe. bit of time away you never know everything can come back and be different um but as of right now, in my head, he's not going to move the needle too much, but it will be important to get him back, if for anything else, to get some of these AHLers out of the lineup. 
yeah, you, you obviously see the trickle-down effect of getting Raquel back, and we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But I feel like regardless of if he looks like he did earlier in the season versus, you know, if he looks like he did last year when he put up 28 goals, I still think he is, like, nothing against Drew O'Connor. I still think he is better for Malkin. Uh, because I think that he's able to capitalize on opportunities. Not that O'Connor didn't have a very nice goal against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not that O'Connor doesn't bring an element that I think is important to that line with Evgeny Malkin. But I just feel like Raquel, somebody of that talent, somebody that has that ceiling that Ricard Raquel has, is just a little bit higher than everybody else that Malkin has been playing with since he went down. And I think that's important to get back there. And I think that's important as well because right now your your other option is breaking up the first line. And I know Mike Sullivan doesn't want to do that because that first line has been, as we talked about in the first segment, the best in hockey this season. So it gives you more options because Raquel, if he's on the second line, if he's on the third line, he brings more talent. And right now the Pittsburgh Penguins are a team that could use as much talent as they can get because right now it kind of looks a lot like the AHL roster is engulfing the NHL roster. And I know we said going into the year that, hey, there's plenty of AHL names that can step up in situations like this. Um, it doesn't help that Andreas Johansson was among that list and he is no longer here. Uh, Vinny Henestrosa is here and doesn't seem to be getting the playing time. Um, some of the other names, Harkins was good until he wasn't. Uh, Colin White has not been given the opportunity. Mark Pissick is lands injured. Yeah. If we want to dig into the defense, Mark Pissick is now in Calgary's AHL system. Uh, Libor Hayek, I don't think he's even playing in the AHL right now. Forwards again. He is. Sam Poulin's hurt. Valtteri Poussinen's still too young, I think. John Gruden's just not going to get a chance anymore. There's, I don't know. I mean, maybe not too young anymore, but I, he hasn't been given the call. He hasn't been given the shot. Oh, yeah, Alex Nylander can't finish. It, we had all these aspirations going into the year with these AHL guys that, hey, they can all step up in certain situations. It's just not working out. Also, I think when we thought of them stepping up, we thought of them stepping up one at a time, not... Hey, here are two. Com- here are two. Here are the two top. Here's the AHL top six. Take it because we have no other choice. And that's just not, I think, what we expected. And I had another point at the beginning of what I was saying, and I forget what it was. So continue. Yeah. Now, when I look at the AHL system, I, I do think that there are some players that deserve opportunities there, like Jonathan Gruden. Obviously, he only gets called up when he scores seemingly like four goals in four games, and all of a sudden the Penguins are like, wow, he's hot, bring him up, and then they send him down hours later. Um, but you look at some of the disappointing you know, performances from that that group that you're mentioning. I think Jansen Harkins is the top name among them, but also, you know, I'm not afraid to put Redeem Zahorna in that as well. Like, Zahorna made a massive impact when he was initially called up on the fifth game of the season, and he was great for the first couple of weeks, but what do we keep saying? Hey, this is phenomenal. He's been great. Looks like a diamond in the rough. Can he avoid the fall off? That's always been the question because it's one thing to come up, be a flash in the pan, have great performances for a week or two. It's another thing to sustain that through an NHL season at the level that you know the NHL is. Zahorna has struggled, mm-hmm. and you see that in his deployment over the past couple of weeks. You saw that last night when he took a really bad penalty late in the game that fortunately didn't cost the Pittsburgh Penguins because Lars Eller was able to make up for it and draw a penalty of his, of his own. But Redeem Zahorna has struggled. And that brings me to my next point. When Raquel comes back, because I think he's now missed six or seven games, yeah. so he still has to mix a couple. I, I think he'd come back around the 14th, 15th, something of that date. Um, that's when he'd be eligible to come back at least. When he comes back, I think it's clear and obvious that he should go to the second line. Yeah. And it should be Raquel, Malkin, and Riley Smith. Obviously, that means Drew O'Connor drops down to the third line, which I think is great for Lars Eller. I think Eller has played fairly well. I think he's taken a step back simply because what is going on around him? Like it's it's hard as a third line center. That is your job, though. Like more often than not, a third line center sees more line mates changes than most other lines. So I get it, but you need to get a little bit more stability for for Lars Eller. And I think getting Drew O'Connor on that line is a big part of it. But who do you put on the right side? Is it Zahorna? Because when those three were together, more often than not, they performed well. Or do you go somewhere else because Zahorna has struggled in recent weeks? And this is going to be the million-dollar question is now all of a sudden, as we get healthy lineups back, we're going to start trying to cherry-pick the best possible lineup. I don't think it's Zahorna anymore. I think 
playing four minutes and 52 seconds in total in the in the first game against the Flyers kind of speaks for itself. I know he played nine-something last night, but um, getting one shift in the third period of a close game. And taking a penalty. Uh, I Was that his only shift in last night? I don't, oh, I thought that's what you were talking I about. I was kind of still stuck on uh, Saturday. Saturday's game. Uh, but still, yeah, I mean, okay. getting one shift in, in on Saturday, however many he got on last night, um, I don't know off the top, and my media site's been really slow today, so I don't know what's going on. But also, I mean, also for that, we remember I asked you about it, and thankfully you sent it over to yeah. me, and I appreciate that. Redeem Zahorna and Jansen Harkins didn't touch the ice after the Penguins took the lead in Tampa. Yeah. They didn't touch the ice. They were benched. Yeah. It's... So if that tells you where, where Sullivan is at with Redeem Zahorna, he's right there alongside Jansen Harkins right now. Yeah. So it's that, and that should be enough of clarity to see that things aren't going to go well for, for Zahorna once people start getting healthy. I And I know I just mentioned a bunch of names from the AHL system. I mean, yeah. I, my ideal lineup might feature Colin White because he's a name we haven't seen yet at the NHL level. And we know he can provide mm-hmm. something. At least he proved it last year. He can provide something to a uh, to a bottom six. So Horna, by the way, had uh, he had a normal amount of shifts in the third yesterday. So okay, there wasn't as much benching going on last game. But then again, I feel like because it was still a one goal game, or not a one goal, just a one to one tie game. It was tight the entire game almost, and then the entire third, you kind of had to continue rolling things over. Um, Jeff Carter didn't play a bunch though. Well, that's nice. Uh, anyway, it's we'll see where things go. I think Colin White could be a good option. I think if Alex Nylander can genuinely find some finishing ability soon and quickly, he should deserve a spot in the NHL lineup because he has a pedigree of that and can be faster and can be a skilled scoring depth option because, again, yeah, defense is great in the bottom six, but, God, you need scoring now. You, that you, All these one-goal games, you need a goal to be chipped in somewhere. Yeah, especially because, excuse me, especially because the second line has gone so dormant. Like, when the second line goes dormant, that's when you need other people to step up and nobody has stepped up to supplant them. And while I think it it probably will end up being Zahorna, I think that's where they're going to go with it, especially, you know, unless he completely plays himself out of of an opportunity in the next handful of games, which is, is a possibility. I do think that they'll probably go with Zahorna, and I would probably agree with that simply because that's a, a combination that worked, and that's a combination that, hey, put them together, see if that lights a spark for Zahorna again because he was, he was a good player at the early portion of, of his most recent recall, and he's just kind of fallen off since then. Part of that might be, you know, when you don't play with Drew O'Connor, that might be the key to unlocking Redeem Zahorna and creating some space for him is Drew O'Connor being an absolute wrecking ball. So maybe that's what they go with. I think that's probably what they should go with, at least to start. But I would not be uh, I would not be too sold on that unit. I, I would honestly like to see maybe, like you mentioned, an Alex Nylander get a sh- chance because I think last night, while he didn't have any prime scoring chances while I didn't actually feel threatened that he was going to score a goal at least it looks like he's desperate to score a goal Zahorna doesn't look like he's desperate to score a goal Jansen Harkins it doesn't look like he's desperate to score a goal Alex Nylander by the side of the net got absolutely bulldozed and knew he was going to get bulldozed but he still tried to put the puck between his legs get a better angle on a shot and try to get the puck on net that's one thing that I think Alex Nylander does bring is one thing he has showed me while the results haven't followed in his nine games last year and however many games he's played this year, he's desperate to score goals. He's getting shots on net and he shoots the puck well. Like he has a good shot and eventually you have to think that that starts to go in more often than not. But, you know, I, I do think that we're picking, you know, between uh, AHL players at this point. We are. Like, it, it, you're hoping that they go above and beyond that level. But right now, most of the bottom six is is playing at an AHL level, the NHL. Hence the reason we're in the position that the Pittsburgh Penguins are so reliant on that top line. So, you know, Raquel comes back. There is a snowball effect, and hopefully it improves each level and each rung as the snowballs continue to fall. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, especially on the forward side, the Penguins have a lot of issues that are not going to be resolved by one player coming back into the top six and moving everybody down. I think there's going to have to be a move made at some point here uh, to bring in some supplemental scoring or bring in something uh, to change the atmosphere in the top 12. That's exactly <clears throat> that's exactly what it's going to take. It, someone's got to find something. It, 
whether it's Kyle Dubas going out to find somebody else, whether it's Mike Sullivan making a certain call from the AHL. I mean, I know it's not his call, but pushing Kyle Dubas in the right direction to make certain calls from the AHL. But also, you look at the AHL numbers, and boy, it's not fun. It's not fantastic. It's no. It, Ty Smith's leading the team in points, I think. So you're not that Ty Smith is a bad player. We all know he's great. There are just certain things that don't fit with the Penguins lineup right now. One of them being he plays defense. Um, you don't have many options to even call up from the AHL. It's a, yeah tough. And I know we all had high expectations for the AHL to be better. I think the 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 assembly is still much improved. But it's much improved for the AHL, and again, we thought maybe they could chip in one at a time, two at a time, at the NHL level. Not, mm-hmm. I mean, how many are we playing with right now? We just listed off Zahorna, Nylander, Harkins, those... At least four, maybe five at a time? Koppinen. Oh, Koppinen, five. Yeah, our, yeah, five of our bottom six is our recalls or AHL level players, so it's tough. That's not what we expected whenever we said the AHL's going to provide a little more than they did last year yeah yeah and when talking about the ahl i think there's an important distinction to be made for everybody that just looks at the record and everybody that just looks at the statistics uh, and you actually sent this to me from tony andrakitis who covers wilkesbury um and also the entirety of the mm-hmm. ahl the the wilkesbury scranton penguins have played the hershey bears a lot this season and the hershey bears won the championship last yeah. year and are probably a championship caliber team this year in the american league so you know, part of that is they're playing some of the best the AHL has to offer more often than they're playing anybody else. Uh, but at the same time, you look at the numbers and you wonder, hey, is that even something that's going to translate, even though they're playing very good talent in the Hershey Bears more often than not? But, you know, that's something to dive deeper into at a later date. I just think a move needs to be made somewhere. Yeah. And listen, I'm, I still have my hat in the ring for Josh Bailey. I think you agree with that. Because um, there's got, no one else really out there free agent wise. Uh, Phil Kessel's there, but ee. no, yeah. what like what? Uh, personally, no. Yeah, like, exactly. what, what is that going to bring? Nothing. What is, like well, a not little nothing, bit of scoring but... touch, but like I don't know. I just don't think it fits, especially with with the with the bottom six. But regardless, I mean, a change needs to be made. Is it a coaching change or what? Because that's what we're going to talk about in our final segment. What would a coaching change actually do for the Pittsburgh Penguins? We'll talk about that after the break. Poor one, I don't know if it is because I am sick today, if it is because I'm not thinking clearly, so I'm just going to cut to the chase, though. Would a coaching change actually help the Pittsburgh Penguins? Like, let's parcel into this a little bit. Would a coaching change at the head coaching position? Everybody's talking about Todd Reardon. I get that. But would a coaching change in Mike Sullivan actually help the Pittsburgh Penguins going forward? So without diving into the details of why of my genuine thought, genuine thoughts, I don't know if it would. Because the team, the players, the way they are assembled. I I believe love playing for Mike Sullivan. Mm-hmm. I think when the coaching changes happened midseason in 2009 and 2016, I think definitely with Terry and I think there was just definitely more of a uh, love loss situation. They just didn't want to. They just didn't not didn't want to play for the guy anymore, but didn't feel they were going to have success with him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. The same, I know they didn't win when they got rid of Bilesma because uh, it was an off-season thing, but yeah, I, it just felt like Bilesma's course had been run. That's all. It was just kind of his time. Um, and Mike Johnston, I just that was just a uh, disaster for the yeah. Penguins. So they knew there was someone better to play for. <clears throat> you know, and then Mike Sullivan stepped in and started winning immediately. I don't know if they if it would have that same. I just don't think it would have that same effect this time around. It's mm. The team likes Mike Sullivan a lot. Mike Sullivan is a very smart coach. Um, And I get the idea that that big of a change can have, you know, a profound effect and a profound change on a team. I get it. Um, Just, I don't see it being, I don't see Mike Sullivan's change um, being viable this year. I don't know what it is. I don't know why is my thought. I know we're seeing 
something kind of go right in Edmonton right now after they fired their, based on winning percentage, winningest coach in franchise history. <laughs> Jot that down. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're seeing some sort of positive effect from that. But I just don't, I just wouldn't see it happening with Pittsburgh. I don't know why. Um, I just think the veteran guys, especially Crosby, Malkin, Latang, they like playing for like playing for Mike Sullivan. Um, and if you really want to dig into it, moving moving rear now it's going to be even harder. I think because he has the defense's trust and Latang especially. I mean, maybe not harder, but there's it, you get it's a tough business, and you get sometimes Kyle Dubas is going to have to make some tough decisions, but. Feelings are going to have to go out the window at some point. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. And I don't know if they'd be better. I don't. I don't know. Mike Sullivan's a great coach still. A lot of people are doing the same thing you just did. Running themselves in circles. back to 2009. Uh, No, no, (laughs) no. A lot of people are doing the same thing in looking back to 2009 and 2016. But this is not the same situation anymore. In fact... The only thing that's the same is the organization and the three-star players. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the only thing that is the same. But even that, the players aren't the same. Like, Sidney Crosby in 2023 is not the same person that Sidney Crosby was in 2016. Not to say that he's worse, because honestly, he's on pace to have his best goal-scoring year. He's on pace for over 50 goals this year. Right? So, it's not that he's bad, but these are different players. They're in their late 30s. 2009. That team was coming off of a cup final defeat. Yeah. This team did not get anywhere close to that last year. And that team was underperforming through the entire early portion of the season. From top to bottom, that team was underperforming. Who is underperforming this year? The second line and the third line. has been good. The third line and the fourth line and the power play. The penalty kill in the last couple of the power play is, but how much of an underperformance is the third and fourth line. How much more scoring did you expect? How much more scoring did you expect from Ryan Shea and John Ludwig this year? How much more scoring did you expect from Marcus Pedersen or Ryan Graves this year? A lot of these players, they're, yeah, not playing their to their T, but when it comes to goal scoring, the second line is the only line that is drastically underperformed. So are you making a coaching change for one line? Maybe, maybe I'm not saying it wouldn't work because quite honestly, it might help. It might help because as you mentioned, no matter how good a coach is, Dan Bilesma at the time was the best coach in franchise history. His message still run ran stale and whether they like him or not, Mike Sullivan's message may be running stale in the locker room. Hey, let's play hard. Let's play responsible. Let's make sure they'll limit the opposing team's chances and let's take advantage of ours. When has that happened this year? Especially look at last night's game. Responsible hockey was not played in Philadelphia last night. At least not from the team that was coming from the road. Right? So, that's 2009. 2016 is probably a closer... Yeah, but the personnel uh, Closer comparison. I would say. But exactly. Exactly. They were coming off of a near playoff miss, which means it's a little bit closer to this year when they missed the playoffs. They were one game from missing the playoffs in 2015. But they had a handful of players in the minors that not only came up and took that advantage, they had a handful of players in the minors that came up and were good NHL players, and two of the three have not left the NHL level. One of them is Brian Rust. Yeah. The other one is Connor Sherry, who's had a pretty good career going forward from that moment. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Tom Kunockel, who I still think is underrated what he brought to that team Absolutely. to this day. But Tom Kunockel, yeah. who in the minors, maybe Jonathan Gruden is Tom Kunockel, but that's not the one that you're you're most looking for, right? You don't have the young players to come up and facilitate in the way that Sherry and Rust and go into 2017 and Gensel and the way that they were able to come up and contribute. You have nobody in the minors that's ready to come in and do that. Because yeah, here's where things will start getting. Here's where things are going to get philosophical. Now, because. Okay. I, whenever I immediately, as I said, they had better personnel in 2016. I guess it was still 15. Whenever Mike Sullivan was brought into the brought to brought to the NHL level, they didn't. That mm. team was not that great. It was Mike Sullivan that implemented that change of roster, and then and here's where things get philosophical. And then Jim Rutherford decided to start making some deals. He decided to start wheeling and dealing. Out goes Rob Scuderi, in comes Trevor Daly. 
out goes whoever, unless he, unless no one really went out for uh, for uh, Carl Hagelin. Two thousand nine, Ray Shiro. Uh, out goes whoever. Here comes Chris Kunitz. Here comes Bill Guerin. Wow. It's Ryan Whitney's gonna be pissed. Ah, Ryan Whitney, you're right. <laughs> Knew I was forgetting it. Um, yeah. Out goes Ryan Whitney. It's solid it, at the time. Solid player, top whatever draft pick, top ten draft pick. In comes Chris Kunitz, who ends up becoming a franchise icon almost. This time around, you know, in the last few years, Ron Hextall wasn't making those moves. Cal no. Dubas, fresh face in the front office. When you are a new face, especially in the front office, I know he's already done it. You want to make those here's why I'm here decisions. Here's why I'm here trades. You already got one with Eric Carlson. You had another with Riley Smith. You had it. It's kind of slipped. It's time to see one more, eh? I think if you're going to make a change, throw a trade out there. Throw a, not a big trade, but something to get the ball rolling and maybe the big trade comes down by the deadline. Something's got to happen early here. And I see where people are coming from with a go, with a coaching change. I know you're probably going to say, the, what exactly can we trade? I have a couple ideas. Um, oh. It's when it comes to getting the ball rolling, there's the idea that... Kyle Dumas needs to do something here too, because it's going to be his decision ultimately. You know whether it's a coaching change or a personnel change, it's going to come from the top. I don't see a coaching change working. Again, that's just me. Could be wrong. If you want to move out Reardon, it's weird seeing an assistant coach get an associate coach get fired midseason. You don't normally see that. It is always just head coach and someone. This time around, I could see it being, or even if you don't fire Reardon because you want to keep him around for your defense. Give that power play to somebody else. Let's start there. Those, that con- That's a bigger conversation for another time, and we're starting to run late here. Yeah. But if Kyle um, Dubas can go out and if, he, if it's him to make a change, change the players first, see what the coaching does after. Just because I still think, at least in Mike Sullivan's case, mm-hmm. this coaching can still get it done. I would, at the very least, I, I am of the same belief as you that a coaching change does not make all that much of a difference at this point in the season. It might, it might, I'm not ruling out that it wouldn't, but I don't think it makes all that much of a difference at this point. I'd be more inclined to listen to that conversation. If Ricard Raquel comes back, the chips fall in a little bit more of a natural position when it comes to the offensive lineup and the same issues persist. Now the power play is, I don't know who's in charge of it, but it's, like you mentioned, it, it is a can of worms that goes from Reardon to Crosby to Malkin to Sullivan to Dubas to everybody in that organization at this point because it is a complete and utter failure to not just succeed on the power play, but even set up the power play mm-hmm. at this point. Um, they were outshot three to nothing on a power play last night. That was ridiculous. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, what is it time to fire Mike Sullivan? I would say it's a, it's a bit premature still. But at the same time, I'm I'm more and more as, as time goes on, I'm starting to listen to that conversation. It's starting to make a little bit more sense to me uh, as time goes on. But I still think that it's not going to make it's not going to make and have the same result that I think people are expecting. And that's what I'm a little cautious about is because people are expecting coaching change, Stanley Cup, because that's what we've been taught in Pittsburgh. Coaching change, Stanley Cup. That's what happens. That's what's happened in Crosby's career. I don't think it's going to have the same result this year. I don't think the result is going to be as drastic as it had in those past two instances. Um, but it doesn't mean that it, it wouldn't help, and it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be beneficial beneficial for the Penguins. So the more time goes on, the more open I am to that idea, and the more it makes sense to me. But it still doesn't make enough sense for – if I was Dubas, I wouldn't pull the trigger on that yet. It's just still too soon. And once again, we, we, we just made it through that whole conversation. We made it through however many minutes of that that was – Without me saying, hey guys, his new contract is still yet to start. Yeah, I'm starting to care less and less about that. FSG is a pretty big financial entity. You're right, but it's the way that it was signed by ownership. To fire Selvin, you're going to have to now get ownership's approval too. It's not going to be just a, I mean, not that you didn't always have to, but it's not just going. phone call. Yeah, but it's not, at this time around, it's not going to just be a uh, GM just kind of giving a call. Hey, here's the move I'm doing. Slam phone. It is, hey, here's yeah. the move I'm doing. You can slam the phone. They're calling you right back this time around yeah, because it's, I don't know. it was their decision. You're going to have to have a longer conversation this time around. If mm-hmm. Kyle Dubas really wants to go in that direction, it's going to be tougher 
to pull that Band-Aid off because it was ownership's decision to keep him around. And, again, like, maybe... Maybe FSG does feel that same way. Maybe they do feel, okay, we signed the guy, that's on us. But you, you, it's still going to have to go through them a little bit more than normal. And I get they gave Kyle Dubas a lot of props, too, and a lot of responsibility as well, considering he is president and GM. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, I mean, to what degree, we don't know. Mike Sullivan was also part of that search, sort of. Hmm. So, yeah. It, 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 I don't, again, until the contract starts, at least in my eyes, and I th- I'm not saying it's ironclad, I'm not saying, you know, keeping him around is an ironclad deal, unless there's a clause in there we are completely unaware of, I don't see him going anywhere until that at least kicks in next year. Yeah, and we could get into this probably for another 35 minutes, exactly. but um, when, when you say, you know, Mike Sullivan has that contract... He signed it. You know, it was a big vote of confidence from Fenway Sports Group. I look at what they gave Kyle Dubas and I say, well, they, they gave him the power stick. They gave him a seven-year deal. They said, you're the president. If you want a general manager, have a general manager. If you want to be the general manager, you can be the general manager. Do things on your own time. Change whatever you want to change. Fire all these people from the Hextall era. Bring in all these people. Hey, you can go out and trade for a $10 million defenseman that's 33 years old, they gave him the keys to the kingdom. If he's going to say it's best for business to fire Mike Sullivan because this team is losing and the fan base is upset and it's a gate-driven league and that gets into a whole other can of worms, FSG is probably going to be inclined to listen. And I think that just as much as Mike Sullivan is their guy, Kyle Dubas is their guy as well. And they gave Kyle Dubas more power, at least on the outside in the hierarchy of the organization. But again, that is a conversation that we could have until the next time that they drop the puck in Tampa Bay on Wednesday night. That is a conversation that there's people on both sides of the island. And I get your point as well. Um, it, It makes a lot of sense because the Pittsburgh Penguins have been heavily invested in Mike Sullivan since he won the back-to-back cups. It makes sense that he's a little bit more secure than your average NHL head coach, than whoever the heck his name was in Edmonton, whatever, the winging, the winningest coach in Edmonton, Edmonton history who Jay rode the coattails. Yeah, Jay Woodcroft, who rode the coattails of the best power play in the world to, the, to that record. Sure, but I get that it's a different situation, but I still think there's more to that situation than, you know, they like Mike Sullivan. So they're not going to let anybody fire him. I think when they see the product on the ice, and I do think they're watching, uh, contrary to some people's belief, when they see the product that's on the ice and they see their chances to make more and more money go out the window with this record going losing and losing and losing, they need to make the playoffs this year. I I think that's when you you see an issue there. So that's going to do it for this episode. We could could talk for a long time on that one, but that's going to do it for this episode. We will be back on Thursday with a brand new episode, hopefully talking about a victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins in Tampa Bay. But that's it for this one. We'll see you guys next time.